this uh, coming week, starting uh, Sunday. Next week, uh, we're having our Global Impact Week. It's a little bit uh, in a different time in our calendar year than normal. Um, but uh, we thought we would be moving out of a building into another building in October, and clearly that has not happened. Um, so uh, you've seen the decorations there in the back, and I'm looking forward to that, and uh, we'll be giving you more thing. I think there's some information there in your bulletin. encourage you to check out uh, uh, what we have in there. So uh, this morning, first Sunday of the new year, 2016, um, you ready for it? You guys ready for another year? Um, 2015, I don't, I don't know what it was like. I don't know what word, if you had a word to give for 2015, hey, what would it be? You ever think of that right now, audience participation, what would be the word for 2015 for you? Yeah, I won't do that in the second service. I'll just keep moving on. It's a bad idea. Got a word, maybe? It describes 2015. Change. Change. Challenging. Horrible. Is that what you said? Yes. Sorry, I made you say it twice. Um, other words. Unexpected. Adventure. Yeah, I would say the word for me this, uh, for 2015, um, it was difficult. It was a, a difficult year, and the crazy thing about it is everything that caused the difficulty, or nearly everything that caused the difficulty, was good. Isn't that weird to think about? Like, there's, there's sometimes, I mean, I've, I was talking with several people, and they, you know, just in terms of leadership, and um, in the 13 years I've been here, this would probably be the second most difficult year. The other one was about seven years ago, and there was a lot of conflict in that. We won't go into that. That was the most painful difficult year, but we talked about this being the second most difficult year. It was hard. A lot of change, a lot of transition. Uh, we built, tried to build and finish a new facility. We're in the middle of that, raising money for that building, um, raising money for our general budget. We went through some massive shifts in our staff, ministry staff, support staff. Uh, we lost an adult pastor, children's pastor, hired three new ministry staff and additional support staff. We're in the middle of hiring another ministry staff position. Um, and with that kind of Hiring brings all kinds of change internally. Um, 2015, you know, it, it's interesting. Um, um, we have Legos in our house, and uh, we've got ones that come from sets, and then we got ones that's just general pile of Legos. You can just do whatever you want to. And, and, and it was like, God, I just built this wonderful little creation. It was so pretty and everything. And God just says, yeah, we're going to take that apart in 2015. And and uh, I was like, I liked what we had. I thought we built this together, Jesus. And, uh, and he said, nah, we're going to take this apart, and I'm going to build something else. And, and at the beginning of the year, I was just, uh, we did everything that every expert said not to do, and, and, and we did it. And, um, and yet coming now at the end of 2015 and coming into 2016, I'm looking at this going, oh, Wow. Like, I didn't know you were going to do that. 
and build this. And uh, I'm excited about 2016. Um, 2016 to me is uh, we're going to be launching into the real challenge. And uh, that gets me excited. We're going to have closure on things, Lord willing, um, in 2016. But I think as a church, we're facing uh, several challenges. And uh, I want to talk about those this morning as we begin. And I want to I frame the challenges with the vision of our church. And uh, it comes out of uh, Ezekiel. Ezekiel 47. Just listen to this, or if you want to turn there. You've heard this a lot, um, but we're going to keep coming back to this because we just really believe this is the vision God has for us. It says this. It's a vision uh, God gives Ezekiel, and he says, I'm going to do this if Israel comes back to me and loves me and puts me in the middle of their lives and their nation. And verse 47, Ezekiel sees this angel, a man, um, who comes in appearance, a man, and uh, this is what he says. This man brought me back to the entrance of the temple. I saw water coming out from the threshold of the temple toward the east, for the temple faced east. The water was coming down from under the south side of the temple, south of the altar, He then brought me out through the north gate and led me around the outside to the outer gate facing east, and the water was flowing from the south side. As the man went eastward, so imagine he's going away from the Mediterranean and he's going east towards the desert, um, towards uh, the Dead Sea. As the man went eastward with a measuring line in his hand, he measured off a thousand cubits, then led me through water that was ankle deep. He measured off another thousand cubits and led me through water that was knee deep. He measured off another thousand, led me through water that was up to the waist. He measured off another thousand, but now it was a river I could not cross because the water had risen and was deep enough to swim in, a river that no one could cross. And he asked me, son of man, do you see this? And then he led me back to the bank of the river. When I arrived there, I saw a great number of trees on each side of the river. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region and goes down into the Arabia where it enters into the sea the Dead Sea. When it empties into the sea, the water there becomes fresh. Swarms of living creatures will live wherever the river flows. There will be large numbers of fish because this water flows there and makes the salt water fresh. So where the river flows, everything will live. Fishermen will stand on the shore from Engedi to Engleim. There will be places for spreading nets. The fish will be of many kinds, like the fish of the great sea. But the swamps and marshes will not become fresh. They will be left for salt, which is for worship. The fruit trees of all all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. Their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for food and their leaves for healing. It's a vision we feel God has given our church of what it will look like if God is in the middle of us and God is leading us. And I think one of the the challenges, there's going to be a lot, but I think one of the challenges we're going to face in the coming year is this illusion of self-sufficiency. And I think uh, if we grow like we think we're going to grow and we're going to become a large church or a larger church, we're 
we're going to run into this challenge of thinking we're big enough to do this on our own. We're going to start to look around and possibly think, uh, we got things under control. Or, or, or we're going to look at our budget, and we're going to look at our square footage, and we're going to look at our average attendance and think that we can do this. But the thing is, this, this vision, this vision is supernatural. This vision is not done by any man or any woman. It's supernatural. If you read the previous seven to eight chapters, God says, come back to me, worship me, put me in the center of your life, surrender, yield your lives to my control, and if you do this, then I will do this, and in 47, and 47 is all about the hand and movement and presence of God. It's a metaphor for the presence of God how it goes out of the temple. He goes, his presence comes out of the temple and goes into the land, and the land is a metaphor, and it's real, and it's also a metaphor. It's real in the sense that God is going to bless the land, and it's a metaphor for how God will go through people's lives and flow out of people's lives and literally change the world. There's nothing about this vision that people do. Now, we're just a group of 500 people larger than most churches, but this was a vision that was given to a nation of two or three million people. It seems to me that at no point in the near future are we going to outgrow our need for God. The desert, the Dead Sea, metaphors for people's lives as I was thinking of this, I was, you look at this and you go, uh, in our, consider our world, consider our community, and, and there is nothing that can do what this is talking about. A few years ago, I think I may have mentioned this, I was asked to lead worship at Denver Seminary at their board uh, meeting. I think it was a quarterly board meeting, and the, the president had asked me to come out and to, to share stories from our church, because um, through a person, he had, uh, I'd sent out some of the baptism stories like this morning. I sent them out to a couple of people to say, hey, you got to hear these stories, and they forwarded on to him, and I graduated from Denver Seminary, so he brought me in and, and said, hey, can you lead worship and just tell maybe a couple of these stories, and so I'm like, sure, I'm not going to do that, um, and so I went and did that thing, but what was interesting was at the end of it was a number of conversations I had with the board members who were so amazed at the stories, which I am too, but also talked about how they never hear those stories in their churches. And I thought, ugh, yeah. They don't hear those stories. It wasn't all of them, but it was some of them. And it just was one of those things that set me back and said, what, what is causing these stories then? And, it, and it's really not me, and it's not any person here, it's God. The real story is God. And all those stories start with and end with God. God did, and God met, and God pursued, and God chased, and God forgave, and God healed, and God restored. And I think the last 13 years, 
I know for me as we've, I've been here, uh, all we've done is just come to Jesus and said, oh, Jesus, we need you. Jesus, you're the strongest. Jesus, you're the one with authority. Jesus, you're the one who spoke and, and you spoke this earth into existence. Jesus would just speak. We, we need you to speak into the pain and we need you to speak into the lostness and the, and the brokenness. Jesus, would you say some words of healing? Would you say some words of grace, right? Now that's all we've done is Jesus, would you? And Jesus, please, would you? And Jesus... We need you, we need you, and, and what's that but just prayer? We've prayed a lot. If we're good at anything and can improve at anything, it'd probably be prayer. There's a group of women that have been praying since the 90s, getting together, praying for this church and for this idea of God's presence here. There's a group that's guys that prays on Fridays. There's a group of moms that prays throughout the school year for families and children and teachers that God would do this. Uh, there's groups, many of you have come to the river praying, oh Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And I think the biggest challenge coming into this new building is that uh, we'll stop praying because We've got the building, and we've got whatever. This past year for me, um, I would say I have been distracted from prayer. It's one of the things that the experts said would happen. You read all these books. Get ready, because when you build a building and you start doing all the things that come with that, raising money, you'll be distracted. And we did every precaution we could, and, and I, think our, I think we have done the best we can on this thing, but it still happened to me. Now, some of you may say, well, Scott, you were distracted. You prayed. You did all kinds of things. And, and, and some of you may give me grace on that, and, and I love that. Thank you. But you know when your spirit knows, and you know when this Holy Spirit tells your spirit, and, and that's where I've been. And the spirit's like, Scott, you're distracted. You're distracted from prayer. You're distracted. And uh, I'm tired of being distracted from prayer. I've prayed a lot, but it's, it's one of those things in the middle of these kind of things. It takes more time, not less, in the busyness and distraction. Are you distracted from prayer? It's 2015, one of those years where you just look back and go, man, I left so much on the table. So busy doing kind of the Mary and Martha idea story of two women and one, if you're not familiar with it, sisters, one was busy doing a lot of good things and the other was just, didn't care, just wanted to be with Jesus. Be in his presence. Are you distracted or busy doing a lot of good things? Prayer is the first work of the church, and when it becomes the first work of the church, then everything that flows out is God. Prayer is the first thing that says, oh, we cannot do it. We cannot do it except Christ, except Christ, except Christ.
there's this, I, I don't know how to explain it, but there's just this burn in me to pray and to see fresh water pray because I don't give a rip about a new building if God isn't moving. And I don't give a rip about money. I don't give a rip about a large attendance if God isn't there. I just don't. I don't want to do it. At the end of this month, we're going to spend some time calling this church to pray. Three days prayer and fasting. We're going to pray over these challenges here. And I got two more we're going to talk about. We're going to ask God to move. We're going to set aside time. We're, the building's almost done. There's whispers of March. <laughs> whispers. It's about as strong as I'll say it. Um, and if you're wondering why the delay, we, uh, we did not know that we would be doing this much volunteer labor. And we have just uh, recently, beginning of December, pulled the trigger on hiring skilled labor to get this thing done. Um, so that's really at the essence of what has happened. And we're starting to see progress uh, happen. But we need to pray. There's another challenge, I think, um, just praying through this, it, I, uh, I don't know, it's, I wouldn't say these are all the challenges that we're going to face, but this is another one that just is in my spirit as I've been thinking about 2016. This next one is serving. And I think the challenge we're going to face in the coming year is uh, as you get bigger, the assumption is everything works fine. You don't need me. The church doesn't need me. It looks like everything's good. And uh, it's, it's the deception that just because something grows and something has momentum, that means everything is working. And, uh, and it just doesn't work that way. Um, if you talk to any of our, our leaders of any of the ministries, not only pastoral staff, but some of our other ministry leaders, there are holes you could drive trucks through in this church. Um, and, and it's a natural assumption, I think, that can happen. But what the Bible teaches and what I think the challenge is in the coming year is that this call we, God places on our life is for all of us to serve. And so each and every one of us here is gifted. And some of you are a 10 in things that I am a zero on. And some of you are a zero on things I'm a 10 on. And that's the way God wants it. And uh, so what happens is we do gift projection. We look at people and go, well, I can't do that. Well, I'm not good at that, so I can't be used or I shouldn't. And it's just not the way it works. What it is is a body. And Paul talks about how you're, you're part of this body. And if this body doesn't, this piece doesn't work and this part doesn't work, then the body starts to falter and starts to fall apart. And uh, each one of us is, is necessary and integral to the church. And each one of us is gifted. For this church. And so the, the challenge is, is if some of us don't do this, the body suffers. And not only does the body suffer, but you suffer. If you don't serve, you suffer. You're not living out a life that Christ has called you to live and equipped you to live. And, and so when I talk about serving, serving don't please understand me on this. I, I mean, it, it will mean sacrifice. 
It will mean dedication. It won't be easy all the time. It won't be just, ah, uh, you know, angels singing and lights. And it's going to be hard. And it's going to be just sometimes monotonous. But Christ says it will be fulfilling. And it will be fulfilling only in this sense that it's for him. It is for him. We will only find this fulfillment if we do it for him. If we do it to please other people, if we do it because somebody else, that's not why we do it. We serve because it brings joy to our Lord. We serve because it is the way he's created us. And if you don't have that worked out in the beginning, it all goes sideways and it gets really messy uh, because people, you're going to be ticked off at people. You're going to be irritated at people. People are going to hurt you and say things. And when you start serving, you just see people's mess and we're all a mess. We are. It just looks cleaner this morning. And you do look good this morning, um, by the way. But, uh, but if you know it's for Jesus, you have the grace to move and, and to do this together. And we can do this. But uh, if you're not serving here, I, I guess my question to you is how, this is what I often struggle with, is how is it that ISIS can call people to literally die for a cause that is so evil and sacrifice such tremendous things and yet Christians can barely muster a night a week? or a morning, a week? I mean, I just, I don't get it. I don't. I don't get that kind of sacrifice, and I, I see the church and how anemic it is, and I go, what in the world? I mean, how big is their God, right? And their cause versus ours. I don't know, guys. I, I don't talk like this normally, but it just ticks me off. I mean, the church, the church should be the shining example of devotion and sacrifice. And if you don't you know what that means and how to get under that, just, just hang around this church and you'll see people. You see people, and I would say it's not, I, you know, I hear people say, oh, it's the older generation that's learned this and the younger generation. I see it in the younger generation. I see kids who sacrifice and serve. And I see older people sacrificing and serving. I see it throughout the generations. People who understand what it means to commit and to do this week in and week out for years to come. Look at some of our youth leaders who give up Sunday nights for what, four or five hours, giving their lives away to students. I see that in Sunday school teachers who do that. See that with the band here. Give up hours and hours just to serve the Lord. And if you aren't serving, have you met Jesus recently? This one who died for you, one who says, take up his cross. Maybe some of you need to embrace this challenge. I'll move on. Last thought. I think the, the other challenge facing us is, is tied to this video here. Um, I think the misunderstanding that can happen is that we think this building and location thing is, is all for us, and, and while we'll benefit from it, it's really good. Um, and trust me, I am looking forward to that day to get in there and to get out of here. Um, it's hard not to get uh, a bad attitude. Um, 
about the delay. I'm in a good place right now. Um, but uh, that building, we didn't build it for us. We built it to make room for more. There's about 30,000 people in five miles of this location, which is just a mile over there, 30,000 people that don't go to church. There's about 50,000 living around here, 40, 50,000. So there's plenty of room. There's a lot of people that either walked away from God and haven't come back or have never even heard of God. Unfortunately, the latter one is growing. We built this thing over there, that building and that property to reach more. Because there's this mission, Christ says, I, I, I've put this within you. I want you to go and I want you to share with this world about me the good news. Now, up on the screen, you're going to see a graphic. Um, I don't know if you can throw it up there, Tom. Uh, this, is a, this is a graphic of giving towards missions as our denomination as a whole. And uh, what you can see over the, since 19, what is that, 86 to 2014, uh, giving as a percentage of total church income used to be in the mid-80s around 19%, and now it's down in the 7% range. That's a national trend that's happened over the past, what, 30 years, something like that. Next slide shows us. This is 2004, so this is just a 10-year sample. Um, I came in 2002, and uh, I really didn't want to show this slide because <laughs> this reflects on me significantly. Uh, we started at 16%, and now, 10 years later, we're down to about 9% church income. Now, there's a lot of reasons for this, and some you could argue, this is why, this is what, but uh, at the end of the day, that's gone down. Our general budget, though, has quadrupled. Wah, wah, wah. Yeah, we used to be about two hundred thousand dollars, and um, two two twenty. I don't know what it was back then, but now we're over nine hundred thousand dollars, almost a million dollars. Um, and so, obviously, it's gone up our giving overall, but percentage-wise, it's gone down. I don't know necessarily all the reasons for it. All I know is it reflects on my leadership and uh, reflects on possibly the leadership of others, but uh, I'm at the front of that. And I, I, I don't think I've done a good job leading this. Um, it's, it's on my watch. So we are part of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Missions is in our name. And if you have attended our church and, and you don't think it's, well, you, don't, you haven't heard that it's something that is important, I'm sorry to you, because um, this, this is what we're about. This is why I joined the CMA. 
I joined it because I like this idea that what the CMA does is we go and we plant churches in nations where it's, there's nobody around planting and it's not sexy and it's not glamorous. And right now, 75, 80% of our missionary workforce is in, is in access, closed access countries. We've shut down other places where, is it the work done? No, but South America, it's not closed. A lot of parts of Africa, South Africa, not closed, but we're going to the Middle East, the North Africa, where it is dry and there is no light. And I joined the alliance because of that. And I liked in particular the alliance did this thing where they said, look, we don't want our missionaries, we call them international workers now, we don't want our international workers going home having to raise money and writing letters all the time to raise money. We want them to go out there. So we'll all contribute to a central bucket called the Great Commission Fund so they can go and do that. The church will send and empower and fund this ministry. Now, if that's not clear, and I, haven't, I clearly have not done a good job talking about this and calling people to sacrifice, let me say this up front. This is who we are, and we're going to be talking a whole lot more about this. We are unabashedly about telling people about Jesus in this world and saying there is only one way, Jesus Christ. I would encourage you, my wife and I give above and beyond our tithe to the Great Commission Fund. Join us. Join the other people in this church. Our president has challenged the entire denomination to see that they would give 10% of their income or of their total church income towards the Great Commission Fund. And that is something I think we can at least do, if not more. Another thought about this idea of mission is this call to not only send and support those, but to do it ourselves, regionally, locally. Regionally, we've talked a lot about Envision, which is up in Cleveland, and Akron Pregnancy Center. And uh, we have local ministries that we partner with, the garage. And when we deliberately choose ministries that are, that are about communicating Christ is the hope. We don't want to just give out money or give out something. We want something that has as its focus Christ. We're very intentional about that. And maybe that's a place you can join in. We have a growing ministry of ESL happening in our church. I say growing because we didn't have one last year, the beginning of the year, and we do now. And I encourage you, if that's another ministry that's reaching internationals that are coming to us. And uh, you'll hear more about that in the coming year. Um, jump in on something like that. The other piece of this is in this coming year is who is it that is around you I, mean, I, just, I just think this whole thing that happened and played out here is, is the application. Who is it that's in your life that God would have you reach and speak to?
Uh, I don't know how else to say it. People need Jesus. And, and he does, he works through people. He works through you, he works through me, and, and he does it in, in some of the most strangest ways and some of the most obvious ways and you just never can predict and it's just, it's us living on mission. And I think the challenge of this coming year is not to think that when we get in the building we've arrived, but to think that we've just started and now we've got some room to bring more into the body. Let's do it. We've been stagnant as a church the last year and a half. There's no room to grow. You look at our average attendance, we're stuck. It's so frustrating to me because I think there's so many more people that need Christ. And that's why we're doing this. So the, the idea that maybe you, you pray about and you ask God, here at the end of January, we'll be throwing out the dates. Um, would you consider praying and fasting? personally and for our church over these three challenges, over prayer, over serving, and over this mission. And we need God to touch us supernaturally in this, in this year ahead. And I want him at the front of this thing in my life, in our church's life. And uh, it's, it's a tall order, three days. Um, we're just talking, no food, just juice, water, however you want to do it. And Look, if you fast from something and you've got to modify it, fantastic. I'm not, I'm not going to go around. There's no fasting police. What we want is people to be fasting the way God leads them and joining together to pray. Let me pray.